Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode number 68. We are halfway through December pretty much already. We have a very special guest on the podcast today, as you can see in the title of the episode, a recurring guest, one of our favorites. It is a Milan trio today. But first, my only co-host, since Pepperisha is sulking in Arsenal's, what are they? They're probably like 17th place or something like that. Well, there's no difference at this point. But um, we have Matt Santangelo back from vacation. Matt, how you doing? I sip some coffee with my uh, AC Milan mug. Things are good. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year, as people you know mentioned and they always talk about when December rolls around. So I'm doing pretty well. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm ready to uh, welcome in our guest. Okay, yes. So our recurring guest, we're bringing him back, is Maxi Angelo. Maxi, um, we're happy to have you, man. Long time no talk. It's great to be back. It's uh, it's so fun to be be back on your podcast. Yeah, obviously Maxi um, has done so much work. Um, he's got one of the more confusing fandoms in all of football, rooting for Milan and Liverpool. Um, <laughs> he writes for SempreMilan.com. Uh, breaking the lines as well. And he is the owner and founder of footballelements.com. That's his website. You can follow that Twitter. We'll plug that later. But Maxi, um, so much has been happening. Um, we're going to get into Liverpool. We're going to get into Milan uh, for most of the episode. It's going to be centered around Liverpool. But there's been so many breaking, not breaking news, but huge news coming out of the Mino, Mino Raiola camp uh, this morning concerning his two clients two of his more you know controversial I guess you could say clients in Paul Pogba and Mario Balotelli but first we'll start off with Paul Pogba and and Matt feel free to jump in anytime too on the heels of Manchester United's biggest game of the early um, season so far Mino Royal comes out and says that Paul Pogba's time is up with Manchester United his contract doesn't expire until 2022 we've seen the body language Throughout, a, throughout the past, you know, 18 months or so, ever since Jose Mourinho has left uh, Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been at the helm. This has been, you know, it was a confusing transfer ever since he left Juve because it didn't make sense um, with how well he was playing there, considering the fact that he, you know, left on bad terms the first time with Manchester United and the situation with management has only gotten worse at that club and has proved to be so despite some of, you know, the weird quote unquote accomplishments, but I wouldn't call them major accomplishments for that club, considering what their history is known for. Maxi, why does Mino Rayola make these comments? Why does he make them now? And why hasn't it worked out for Paul Pogba at Manchester United, considering how he is probably one of the five most talented midfielders in the world and talented, I should say, not, you know, production. Uh, yeah, honestly, it feels like uh, such such a mean Raiola move to do, drop this bomb right before their biggest game of the season so far. Uh, I, I don't really know why it, Perhaps because he wants to make a statement to the United management that he's not happy and uh, we want out. And he does it ahead of this game to get as much, how, how do you say, as much in the spotlight as possible. Uh, but I don't know why. It's hard to, it's hard to see any logic in the moves that man does sometimes uh, 
<laughs> well, that well that that's what he's known for, right? Whatever he does is usually just the complete opposite of what normal agents usually do. And we yeah. know there's other high, higher profile agents out there. Jorge Mendez is, you know, at the top of the list right next to Mino, where yeah. you don't see him as publicly, but you always hear and see his name in the papers and reports and tweets about his players and clients, whether or not they're, you know, basically loading all the way up on Wolverhampton. But, yeah. you know, it's just Mino, Mino plays chess. He doesn't play checkers. He knows what he's doing. Every comment he makes is calculated, and there's a reason behind every single move. I yeah. think... I think there is one of there's three clubs in my opinion that you could see Paul Pogba heading to whether or not um we we agree with the move there but financially makes the most sense situation wise it makes the most sense and Matt for me these three clubs are PSG Real Madrid and a return back to Juve because other than that I don't see any clubs wanting to jump the gun at this any clubs that Manchester United, I could see agreeing to a deal with. I don't think he will be staying in the Premier League. It would have to be an outlandish offer for the player. And that's not something he's going to get simply because he hasn't been that consistent ever since, what, I guess we could say 2018 when France won the World Cup, just to be fair. Um, Yeah, I mean, we could see Real Madrid wanting to get their new version of the Galacticos, right? We could see PSG selling Mbappe and that in turn – could get the money to reinvest in that midfield that is starving ever so clearly. And then another club that is trying to get over that Champions League hump is Juve. And that's where he played his best football of his career was at Juve. They have a need in the midfield. Um, They have Champions League aspirations. So for me, that's the only situation there. I don't see him renewing because that's still another two years left on the contract. But is, is Manchester United silly enough to hold on? to him this long and just drive his price further down Matt. because at the end of the day it, this is just the longer they drag this out the worse it's going to be for them and I think Mino Rayola knows that and I think that's why he's speaking out I don't think they're going to hold him hostage for for back, lack of a better phrase I think it's been boiling over for a couple seasons now I think um, when he first came to United there was a lot of buzz he was a world record uh, transfer um, he, you know, he, he left Juve with that famous quote saying, you know, I was on holiday, now I'm back home. And I know some people at the time, or at least Juventus fans, were a little bit sour on that. And they kind of really took that to heart because they felt that they were being used. Um, but in this case, I think if you're a Juventus fan, you can look at this, the player himself and recognize that maybe while the past couple of years haven't been his best, um, you can see that he has a little bit more of a desire, a little bit more motivation, and a little bit more hunger when it comes to playing for the France national team. And he's even been vocal about that, which is something that United fans kind of have taken a great disliking to, right? Because they feel maybe he's not bringing that same sort of uh, mindset or mentality that United need, being you know, a fundamental player for them despite his form. But if I'm going through the, the player himself, the best fit for him, and ultimately what I expect to happen – I think you're, you're right. Those three clubs uh, would be the three clubs that would uh, essentially be good. I mean, obviously PSG, they're the biggest French club as far as their success, as far as what their ambitions are in the Champions League. That's a huge motivation for a guy like Pogba to join and kind of maybe help that club get over the hump and be a, a, an elite Champions League team. Real Madrid, obviously, we know what they're trying to do as far as moving the books. I mean, moving the players, excuse me, that really just don't have any sort of future at the club. And they're trying to 
clean the deck and get a sort of cleaner slate for them to make some really big moves um, in the summer. Pogba would be a light fit. Obviously, the connection with Zinedine Zidane uh, is there. So there's there's a lot of reason for him to maybe want to go to PSG. And uh, I'm sorry. And, you know, it's whether or not which team is the, be- is the best fit for him. Because at the end of the day, all of them to varying degree- degrees could use this player of his caliber. I mean, Juve's midfield this year with Arthur, with Benton Kerr playing a, a, a pivotal role, Rabio looking really good. It looks better. And Weston McKinney, of course, too. It looks better, but it's still definitely lacking that sort of star power, right? And it's been lacking that since pretty much Pogba left, right? So I think Juve would be a really good fit for them. Whether or not they would be in a position to maybe meet Manchester United's asking price and you know work everything out with me and Raiola remains to be seen. But um, at 28, Pogba is in the prime of his career. I think he definitely does need a move. And I think this is something that many people were believe should have been maybe happening a year ago, right? Because it, it didn't look like anything else was going to improve from this point on. It looked like kind of Paul Pogba was not going through the motions, but he was comfortable. He was not comfortable. He was, ah, you know, I'm just playing my football and kind of buying my time until I eventually get the move I want. And if you, you can't possibly hold the guy for two more years and then just kind of play it that route, I think if you're a team like Manchester United, given the interest that you had in Sancho, uh, maybe Erling Haaland, you know, big guys like that that are going to help move this project forward, you have to get something for Paul Pogba, a big asset like Paul Pogba. And I could definitely see them selling him, going out and spending that money elsewhere. But yeah, another two years of this, absolutely not. I think this summer he will move. And those three clubs that you mentioned, I think would be all great fits for him for different reasons. Obviously, the Juve familiarity, Real Madrid would be a a massive stage for him. They're still a large, large club, maybe despite not being as strong as they have in previous years when they had that huge dynasty in the Champions League. And then you look at PSG, you know, with the desire and ambition that they have to take this thing to the next level and to be in that same category as, you know, some of the clubs I just mentioned. Okay, guys, before we move on to our uh, former favorite Milan player, I just got to say predictions for this. I know the three clubs listed, or if you have another club that you think Pogba could end up with, who do you guys think he will ultimately end up with um, and why? So, Maxi, I'll go to you first. Um, I don't know. My gut feeling says uh, Juve uh, because mm. I, I think they're the most keen to get him back, uh, and I think that he he would love to come back to to a familiar setting where he's he knows he could perform uh, and uh, they have they still have a great team a uh, great club all around um so I, I i would say juventus but uh, there's also an aspect that i think uh, is interesting with psgs that uh, it's uh, his hometown club uh He's from Paris uh, and, you know, it's always special for him to come home and especially to a club where you can take to the next level as a Parisian. Uh, And right now they also have Neymar, uh, Mbappe, a great team, uh, which uh, he could be the the final piece of the puzzle too. So... I would like to see him go to PSG, but uh, I think Juve is the most probable. Mm. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, for all the reasons that Maxi just lined out here, I think all 
clubs make sense in some fashion. I think Juve returning, he would be a missing piece in that midfield, the star power they've lacked for essentially since Pogba was sold a handful of years ago. Um, PSG, the, the, you know, return home, you know, you can kind of see being presented that way. And I think that's a, a great draw for them. Um, but also I think with Real Madrid, I think you got to look and see that he's 28. I think if, if playing for a team like Real Madrid is in his mind and a big desire for him, the time is now to make that move. And you can see that midfield, you know, Cruz, you know, Modric, Casemiro. Like, I, I still think there's a lot of players that are in the next year or so maybe going to be on their way out, leaving Pogba to kind of come in and play a focal part in that, in that next era of domination that they hope to have. So it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be Real Madrid, if I had to say. I think that team is going to spend in several different areas whether it be the year for Mbappe, I don't know, because I think there's a discussion about possibly getting a new deal done for him at PSG. Maybe that draws Pogba to PSG, who knows? But I think if you're Paul Pogba, um, maybe it's testing the waters. If you, Again, if you've had that ambition all your life, much in much in, in much uh, in many ways, excuse me, like what Eden Hazard had, right? He left mm-hmm. Chelsea, obviously the terms were different and the, the feeling around him was different than it is with Pogba. But if you're, motivation has always been to play for you know Real Madrid then the time would be now for him to make that move so I do think it's going to be Real Madrid but I think it's down to Real Madrid and I think it's down to Juve yeah I think I'm going to go with Juve but a surprise Juve edition would be this Paulo Dybala included in the deal I, I there's something about that situation with Paulo Dybala over there that it seems rocky the fit is strange He's not playing his best at the moment. And obviously that could change it up. But considering and they're not gonna Juve pay is, exactly they're not gonna pay that, that financial situation with Juve, it's not as great as a lot of people think. And that's why they included the swap with Arthur for Pjanic. I just think that at the end of the day, they could it's easier for them to find a replacement for Paulo Dybala than it is for them to just simply, you know purchase someone outright if they could you know get the ball off their books you know put in you know maxi's countryman kulusevsky in his better and more natural position i think that's something that they could rock with and there's been rumors that you know Paulo Dybala almost left to spurs i think that was legitimate at the end of the day i know they ended up keeping him um, because things didn't go their way in the market but I, I just see that as something that is going to happen or a likely likely situation so two cuves and a real madrid for Paul Pogba's future. Um, let's talk about another Mino Raiola client this morning. Uh, well, over here in America, but um, over there in Europe, Mario Balotelli is back with Andriano Galliani and Silvio Berlusconi with Monza and Serie B. Short-term contract, guys, um, for one of the more controversial, outlandish, crazy, hilarious talent-wasted players of a generation in Mario Balotelli. This is his last chance, and it feels like we say this time and time again. It felt like we were saying it with Brescia as well. But, Maxi, is this his final chance? Because at this point, I think he's off to the Western Hemisphere after this if he doesn't figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've said it's his last chance since he moved from Liverpool to to Nice. Uh and there was Brescia, now it's Monza. Uh, but yeah, I think so too. If he doesn't succeed here, he's probably 
going to have a hard time to find another job in Europe. Um, I, I I personally think it's it's a intriguing move for him to move to Monza, uh, but uh, I don't know. Even if he succeeds there, I have I don't know if he will have the same interests now as he would have been a few years ago. Mm. Um, I think that if if, if Monza were to get uh, uh, promoted, I. I have a feeling he would uh, stay. Um, mm. It's not just about it, about um, about the club. I think he's loyal to uh, Galliani and Berlusconi as well. Uh, so I can definitely see him stay there for a while. Um, and honestly, I w- I would like to see that. Yeah, I, I mean, li- listen. I think I think the game of football is. 10 times better when Mario Balotelli is playing well. Um, And, you know, it's all about the environment for him. I think he's been in a lot of environments that weren't that great for him. And it's not, you know, the Liverpool fit, I think, or transfer rather, was forced. I just think that was a Mino Rayola mistake. I don't think it benefited anyone. I think everyone knew he should have stayed at Milan. He was playing the best football of his career there. He really wasn't in bad situations where he's acting like a jackass half the time, you know, there was some discipline there and he was playing his best football. It was for his favorite childhood team. And and that was well-documented when he was playing for Inter putting on the Milan socks is that, you know, I don't think Mina Rayola has done a good job with him at all. I think he deserves a large portion of the blame as well. And, you know, Mario's an adult at the same time and he needs to take responsibilities for a lot of his actions And, you know, for me, it's just, you know, it was just a disappointing career because we saw how much talent was oozing out of him. And we saw certain matches. We saw Euro 2012 where he literally took over the tournament and dominated the Germans and getting Italy to the final at just, you know, under the age of 24 at the time. So we saw it. And that's the more frustrating part was that, you know, he he seemed like he was putting it all together, moved to Liverpool. It was a disaster was playing really well in France and then it turned into a disaster. Um, Returned to Brescia and it's just like a footnote, you know, it's just going to be one of those things if Sandro Tonali turns out to be one of the greatest midfielders in the world is that remember that one time Balotelli was playing with Tonali at Brescia that one year in Serie A and that's literally what it's going to be. We're going to be seeing those tweets about it from all those football accounts. But Matt, I'll, I'll toss this to you. What are your expectations over there really quick with Balotelli before we move on to, to Liverpool? It's just, I mean, do you expect that much from him? Because I, 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 I truly don't. If anything, it's a plus if he scores a decent amount of goals and helps Monza get the promotion. Because otherwise, it, we're just talking about just another failed move here. I think as a player, he still has um, something to give still. I think also plenty to prove, right? I think, I mean, if you're Balotelli and you're hearing the sort of reaction that a move you know most transfers in his career came with a lot of buzz right the move to Milan was huge I was very excited as a Milan fan when it happened and the return and moved to Liverpool you know and obviously he's kind of been just out globetrotting since you know his move to Milan right um and I think it's you look at the player and he's still at a good age where he can still do some things he's still in the prime of his career he's in good shape um as far as at least we can see you know you know 
physically, um, obviously there's a, there's a bit difference between being physically fit and then being match fit, right. To run, to do all the things that you need for an entire 90 minutes and over a long season. But I think if I'm looking at Balotelli now um, at his age, and even just what I've observed from him throughout his career, he's not a player that I think is, has the necessary um, qualities as far as off the ball uh, to help a team to maybe alter or adapt his game to fit a team or to fit a different system. And what I mean by that is I think, you know, yes, he's tactical in certain areas in certain respects of his game. Yes. He's pretty quick. He's, you know, he has a, a, a big frame so he can do a lot of things um, back to goal to help you in, in the buildup and, and link play. But I think a lot of systems now, again, it could vary between Serie A and Serie B, right? But I think if you look at his game, he doesn't, press a lot he doesn't have that that work rate throughout a 90 that if he doesn't score a goal he doesn't really bring much of anything else in my opinion and I think that's a big concern for a player like him there's players we've seen throughout the entire course of, of football these past couple decades where even a perfect the Ibrahimovic the perfect example right where you could cl- quite clearly see he doesn't have the legs he's not as quick or he's not as you know involved in certain areas of the game where he went when he was previously but he does a lot of things like the intangibles to help those around him grow as players to develop to play to his level and to perform but I'll tell you I don't see that I think if he's not getting service he's gonna moan and groan he's not gonna press he's gonna walk to his positions I mean guys we've seen it so many times right we saw it at Milan twice we saw it at Liverpool. I mean, the Liverpool thing was a little bit different because the situation, I think, was just a bad time for Liverpool uh, in general. But even since then, in spurts, when he's not scoring and he's not motivating, he's not happy, he kind of just completely switches off and he becomes almost a non-factor. And if you're a striker now trying to prove to maybe potential clubs down the road, like, hey, invest in me, I can start for you, maybe back to Serie A next year or the year after – you have to do a lot of other things. You have to sacrifice maybe goals for work rate for the common goal of the club. And I don't know if he's that player right now. I would hope that at 30 and given the career trajectory that he's seen these past five, six years, that something would go off in his head and say, I got to change my game. I got to change my approach. I got to be able to do more than just demand the ball. And if I don't get it just while I'm, I'm out of the game mentally. And that's what I'm going to be the big, that's going to be the biggest focus for me. You know, the project is somewhat appealing. You know, there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of attention on it. You know, Kevin Brinsbonetang's there. The club is owned by Silvio Berlusconi. Adrian Galliani is part of, part of the equation as well. And, you know, there's those sorts of people involved in the situation where maybe they can kind of help Balotelli along. But it remains to be seen. I kind of said the same thing about him at Brescia, right? You mentioned it. You know, with them having um, uh, Donnarumma, the, the, the striker there, you know, having... Um, Tonali there, him playing, right, some nice players, Sabelli, you know, those guys involved and him going back to his kind of like hometown club that like that would serve as motivation, right? But we didn't see it. You know, the same thing, the production wasn't there. They, you know, obviously Brescia had a relegating season and then he's back on the market and he really hasn't played competitively for almost what it feels like most of this year. So we'll have to wait and see. It's a free transfer. I don't think Monza can lose much on this as far as, you know, that aspect of it. They'll pay him probably more than anybody else in the squad. He'll sell some jerseys, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, if we're talking about what this move means for him and the rest of his career, this has got to be his last opportunity. And if he doesn't do anything, I still think he'll be a main attraction or a, a possible suitor for maybe a Vasco da Gama, which was a club that was reportedly linked to him, or maybe Galatasaray, or maybe a club in an MLS where he can be a main attraction. He could probably dominate and score goals because he still has the technical ability to dominate in more inferior leagues, if, if 
lacking for a better phrase, but we'll have to wait and see. I mean, Balotelli, he's an enigma. He's kind of more like a Cassano-type realm where he's got the ability. You're just waiting for him to turn it on and be consistent with it. And that's going to be the biggest um, area that most people focus on is can he he finally turn it around? And uh, I'm hoping he does, but my expectations aren't quite high, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. So, Maxie, we're going to get to why we brought you on to the podcast for the most part, besides just being a great guy. Um, <laughs> Liverpool. See, the best time to evaluate a club or understand how great a club is ran or being led by a coach or how great their players are is when some of their best are missing, um, where things aren't going their way, And for the past two falls, you can even go back to last season when Liverpool dominated the league, when they lost Allison at the start of it with that injury. How do they respond? How well do they do? Um, Liverpool has risen to the occasion. They've had countless injuries to start the season, a devastating injury to Virgil van Dijk, the best defender in the world. Not quite on Maldini's level. I'm sorry, Maxie. I know you would agree. Oh, Um, no, I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) I know you are. Um, But just everything, there's always question marks as well to Liverpool where we even go back to the Virgil van Dijk transfer where everyone was sitting saying, oh my God, they're paying 80 million pounds for a defender um, into his mid to late 20s that the best club he's played for, the biggest club he's played for is Celtic. Is Liverpool really going to spend the money for this? Like, this doesn't make sense. We saw the same with Jota. Van Dijk became the best defender in the world and has been. And Jota has been, for my money, the best forward signing. Obviously, there's Erling Holland earlier this year. But Jota, I mean, every single time that Liverpool needs a big goal or a big performance from a player, he's stepped up. He's done it in the Champions League. He's done it in the Premier League. Can, what, can you speak to how great of a transfer policy Liverpool has? And I know you have countless times on Twitter and, and in pieces, but in words – in speaking, can you just speak to like how great this is? Because it just seems like almost any time Liverpool brings in a player for a transfer, you know, they don't always immediately dominate, but they make an impact on some level that it contributes to Liverpool winning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, this is actually one of my favorite subjects because it's so fascinating to me how how they they run the club. Uh, so it essentially it comes down to their that that analytics department where. I mean, they're so ahead of the game. I don't even know. Uh, they, they've adapted the, the it's lazy comparison, but it, they've adapted a type of, of money ball uh, because as probably most of the American listeners know, uh, it was, uh, or no, wait, Billy Bean didn't go to the Red Sox, did he? No, no, no. 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 So he, no, no, he's no. resigning from his position and he's taking more of a prominent role with Fenway Sports Group and, you know, going with AZ Alkmaar and going towards... Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, Fenway Sports Group's idea is to adapt a, a type of uh, moneyball strategy to their signings. So they run everything... Uh, analytically before even uh, hearing with agents or 
or making a first contact, they're they're 100% sure before they make the first move that this guy is gonna help us and this guy is gonna it's gonna be a success for us. And it's not just to a player level. They that's where club comes in that he he always uh, meet the players now in COVID times. It's through FaceTime or stuff like that to to make sure that the personality fits with the squad as well. Uh, so there's no clashes or disharmony or anything like that. So they've essentially built up a bulletproof strategy. And, and at this point, it's like when it, when the fees started circling that Liverpool were going to pay £45 million for Diogo Jota, who, let's be honest, he wasn't that great in Wolves. He had a stellar season in Championship. But then his two seasons in the Premier League, he, he was a, a really good player, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't a great player. Uh, but Liverpool knew that he could be a great player. And that, that is their strategy to sign players who are on the verge of exploding to something exceptional and we've seen that with so many players right now uh, or at this point um, but yeah uh, that's that's basically their their strategy that they they've invested so much in data analytics and and just all around technology to be be ahead of the game and in my opinion there's no no club better uh, at recruiting in in the world, the Liverpool right now. Yeah, it's it, it's just been something that's been built up over time, and they're the absolute model for this. And it's just you know, adapting to the times. You know, there's been so many other successful clubs, obviously in American sports, that have you know shifted to analytics, where it's gone to the point that everybody has been a copycat kind of team. And Matt, you could testify to this is that you know once once there's like some like one or two clubs that have massive success with you know a formula exactly like liverpool is doing other clubs are going to follow suit maybe they're not going to be as smart or you know have the best formula because they don't have the same personnel within you know the club to hire and recruit these players like liverpool does because liverpool has an identity that they're sure of these other clubs have to identify that on top of hiring their guys, know the exact analytics they need. But Maxi, again, this, this doesn't only go down to the first team recruitment. This is also going down to the youth sector. And, and we've seen it flourish as well, because the last time we had you on, I believe it must've been sometime in, you know, the spring where we were discussing the Harvey Elliott's, the Curtis Joneses of the world. Yeah, you saw them produce within the recent two weeks or so. So this yeah. is, this has been fast tracked. This is this has just been fantastic, and it's scary when one of the richest clubs in the world and one of the smartest clubs in the world is also producing some of the best young talents from their youth sector because it's not that much money being spent. Yeah, for sure, uh, and uh, as you said, Liverpool has been very all around in their investment. Uh, except for the women's team, unfortunately. Uh, 
but but in the youth youth system as well they've they've invested so much to improve the ahead of the game in their their youth development and and help their academy players to really flourish and you know uh, at first or in the beginning of this year um i have i had my doubts that uh, this liverpool team was so good that there wouldn't be any pathways to from the academy to the to the first team but they've proved me, proved me wrong again <laughs> and uh, here we are now with the uh, uh excuse me i'm going to butcher this name but q win keller uh and curtis jones Harvey Elliott is on, on loan with uh, Blackburn and killing it there. And uh, yeah, Nico Williams and obviously Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, so it's great to see uh, so many uh, academy players come through to the first team because I think you guys feel this, as way, uh, feel this way as well. That uh, when, an, when your own player... Uh, like an academy player makes it at your club it, it it totally hits different man it's it's so much more exciting than when you sign a player and he makes it uh and you know with uh with with curtis jones now he's played i think four or five or six consecutive games now due to injuries and i mean he he could start in most Premier League sites because he he's that good and he's only eighteen, or or nineteen. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, it's you can see the success coming from all angles at Liverpool right now. And when when we're already on this high level, you just wonder where where it will be in the future. Yeah, I think with, with, with Liverpool, too, is this was, you know, we spoke about this on with the last time, you know, we all chatted here back in, I think it was April during the COVID, you know, the beginning of that. And, you know, I think the one thing that, you know, when Liverpool hired Jurgen Klopp, I think that was the first move to create a sort of culture that we see now. And I, what I mean by that is, you know, top to bottom, it's everyone buying into the same culture, philosophy, way of, of you know, effectively winning football matches and, and, and achieving great things. You know, there's plenty of parallels to be drawn between Liverpool and, and, and other sports and other clubs, uh, clubs, franchises, teams in those sports. You know, in many ways, you know, we talked about, you know, Billy Bean and, you know, the Red Sox connection. And then, but now you're looking at it with, you know, other clubs that are you know, taking that model and, and winning in so many different ways with it, you know, like the Tampa Bay race, for instance, I know you guys aren't familiar with it. I know Martino is, but Max, you may not be, but somewhat of a similar approach is really good scouting, hiring um, these kids out of like, like law school and, and really you know, prestigious Ivy universities. League schools. Yeah. Like Ivy League schools yeah. that have a grasp on not necessarily just strictly the sport, but ways of interpreting data and dissecting data and taking that data to implement it into the way they scout, the way they, acquire and sign players so and i think that's kind of what liverpool do obviously it helps having the premier league money the the war chest to go to the market to get a player of you know guys like jota's uh, caliber and ability to you know plug him in but i i think you would you guys both would agree here that most 
successful clubs that can keep a level of dominance going. It's strictly not one down to being able to just every summer back up the Brinks truck and buy 250 to 300 million euro worth worth of players. It's okay, well, we are able to establish a sort of core group here. What do we need? What's a pressing need? We need a defender or we need a midfielder. We need a, a winger or attacking playmaker. Those are the sorts of things that I think Liverpool set them up to keep this sustainability going. I mean, when a club loses Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez to serious injuries and are still tied for the Premier League right now in first, that speaks volumes to what their preparation is, right? It's, it's not just, oh, we have a great team. Okay, well, if we get an injury, what are, how do we kind of respond? They prepare for that. And good clubs, well-run clubs, know and, and anticipate best and worst-case scenarios. Okay, what do we do in this? What do we do when this happens? And I think that's why Liverpool are so successful. They have been back to being a, a, a giant you know, these past five, six years. And I think it's a testament to their preparation, but they're also the culture that they've looked to create where it transcends you know, and all aspects of the club top to bottom. Yeah. And and I just as you mentioned there with the with the Ivy League recu- recruitment, I I looked up uh, Liverpool's data department, and these are are the are the uh, educations they have. One is a physics PhD, an astronomy PhD, a particle physics PhD, internet computing major. And one who has a mathematics master's and uh, a junior chess champion. So you know they they don't even know football; right. they just know numbers. And I think too, with the one thing with that too, is that we've seen so many right in, in terms of coaches, in terms of directors, you know, head of scouting. You know, they've they've been in the game for so many years. They got this huge track record of of well, you know, this this coach or this director won at this club, he built this project. But now you're starting to see where it's not so much the main prerequisite, right? Well, I'm experienced in this role. And many times a lot of the clubs that, that tend to suffer tend to lean and look towards that too much or put a too much weight into that. Right. I think the Liverpool is that they have that sort of balance where, yes, we have the guys who know the game. We don't have a problem finding that and attracting that and, 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 and keeping those guys that are making those decisions. We need the guys that help can, that can help differentiate us from the other clubs that we're competing with. And that's where those guys that you're just mentioning, you know, the Ivy League guys who can bring the different element, the different sort of approach where when you're sitting at the table looking at who you want to scout, you know, who you want to acquire, what the cost can be, the risk in those sorts of moves – you need different mindsets. You don't need just all football guys. You need, okay, look, well, here's the data. Well, this is what the data is telling us about these players at these ages coming from these clubs, you know, so on and so forth. So I think that Liverpool, while they do have, they are one of the, the main clubs in terms of their analytics department leaning in that direction and really putting a lot of value in it. They've also found that, 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 that right balance between having the guys who know the game in like the back of their hand, but also the guys that can help bring that sort of element to it where that's ultimately going to help make the difference between them being a club that has one or two years of dominance to being a club that can consistently stay amongst the best in world football. And I think that's what we're seeing with Liverpool right now. Yeah, there, there is no question that Liverpool is the modern model for football these days, you know, 
there's a lot of the other clubs that have major success or have had major success. The Barcelonas and the Real Madrids obviously dominated the last decade. How many clubs can actually replicate what they were doing? Very few, probably a hand, like not even like a handful, uh, you know, even Manchester city, because it was spending massive amounts of money, bringing in crazy talented players and really, it was just on the merit of how big their clubs were alone. It wasn't that, oh, our guys are so smart in the analytics department, our scouts are better than anyone else. It's that, you know, they had hundreds of millions of euros and they were dropping it on the best players in the world and plugging them into their teams. And it's not to take a shot at them, because if you're able to do something like that, do it. Why not? Right. Because you're improving your club. But that's not a model of many clubs can follow. Many clubs like, you know, the Dortmunds, the Bayerns even do it too, because I think Bayern and Liverpool have the best policies um, going on in Europe, and it's not even close. It's those two and, you know, just a, a bunch of clubs below that, is that they understand and identify who is valuable to what they want to do. They fit in who has the right personality going into these clubs. And this is essentially what Milan used to do back way back when, when they were running with it, where they were the best ran club in the world was that they're not splashing the most money per se, every single transfer window, but when they spend money on a player, they're for damn sure. They know that they're going to fit into what they want to do and they're going to be great while doing it at the same time. And, you know, hats off to Liverpool because where they were earlier in the decade, everybody knows they were in a similar hole to where Milan was, where Juve was even in the late 20, uh, late 2000s. And the same with, you know, Inter was a few years ago too, because these are all like great examples of it, is that they're slowly building themselves out of their hole where they're identifying what they need. They're not overspending in a lot of areas. And it's translating to success being in the Champions League year after year. And, and Maxi, it's just really just a testament to them. And now we're transitioning to January now because we're just a few weeks away from it. That's how short the transfer windows have been. What do you think Liverpool is going to aim towards? Because it's very clear they need a defender because Van Dyke's injury is something that should not be rushed whatsoever. Joe Gomez is still going to take some time. They're probably looking towards center back. What kind of names do you think they'll be looking towards or you know, some names that you would like them to look towards that you haven't really seen them be linked to so far. Yeah, so I think, as you say, I think they're going to aim to sign a centre-back uh, because Van Dijk is out for the, probably for the rest of the season and uh, Joe Gomez as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, media has tended to link Liverpool to the defenders like Dayoto Pamecano and I and I really can't see they them sign a player like him. I think they're going to to um look more like this kid in Ajax uh his name is Per Chures. Uh he's he's kind of a Van Dyke ish player. Uh, tall has a great foot for play, uh, ball playing foot, uh, strong, good positionally. And I think he could be available for around maybe 20 million euros, which is, I think Liverpool could spend that. Uh, then there's have been, then there's been rumors about, uh, 
Lianco in uh, Torino, uh, which I also find would be a good player. Um, and you can Young, get them at a great price considering they're fighting relegation right now, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and he's... Uh, no, sorry, it's uh, it's Bremer. It's, uh, it's not Lianco. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's... Uh, He's also a, a great defender who, who, as you said, could come fairly cheap uh, and has great potential. So I think Liverpool are going to look to find a, a defender like that and not a big-name defender or splash the cash on, on some other defender. They're, they're going to want to spend their capital uh, effectively and uh, get... Uh, results both short term perhaps not the biggest result but uh, long term uh, to see great results and, and Maxi you know I mean, speaking of the Liverpool market and what they could potentially do um, once that does open you know there's been one player has been linked to both the clubs you support and the club of course um, me and Martino want to talk about next AC Milan that's been Kabak from Schalke and, and, and Kabak was a player that you know, Milan were previously linked to, you know, it was him and Todibo. And of course, Schalke wound up getting both of them. And, yeah. and then Milan fans took the kind of the brunt of the, you know, the critics, not the criticism, but the banter. And they lost two players that you really wanted to Schalke. Like that was kind of like, it feels like that was an eternity ago, but it really wasn't that far off. And now Milan are in a position where they maybe can capitalize on, capitalize on and get Kabak for a really favorable price, given his age, given his experience with the uh, Turkish national team, but also the fact that he's a profile that Milan really have been desiring for, you know, since Gazidis and this into this entire management has taken shape. So um, I guess, I guess my question to you about Kabak from what you've known, do you think he would be a player that, uh, would be more ben- would benefit more from going to a club like Milan or Liverpool at this time, based on what you know about him, based on the club needs. Because I think if you're Kabak, you're looking at this and thinking, I can probably get a, some starting minutes a little more frequently than I would at Liverpool once those other guys come back. Or do you say, Hey, look, I'm playing for Liverpool. Like this is a huge club. This is a big step for me. What What do you What do you think of Kabak as a player and his fit at both of these clubs? Yeah, I I like Kabak. Yeah, he's he's as a, he's a young defender. He has great potential. He's a bit bit raw right now. He sometimes he makes too simple of mistakes, uh, but you know that comes with age. Uh, every young defender goes through that. Uh, if I were Kabak, I would go to Milan because, as you say, it's it's. Uh, a bigger chance he will get regular game time there than he would mm-hmm. at Liverpool because, you know, Liverpool doesn't only have uh, Van Dijk or Joe Gomez. They have they have Joel Matip as well, who's mm-hmm. who's a uh, he could start in most Premier League teams, uh, probably would. Uh, so there's too much competition there, but I also think that. Uh, as I mentioned to Martino before we started recording this, that I think he has um, ruined his chances to go to Liverpool because a month or two ago he uh, he spat in the face of uh, of Swedish international Ludwig Augustinsson in uh, 
in a Bundesliga game between Schalke and Werder Bremen, and he got a five-game five-game suspension due to it. And uh, as I said earlier, Klopp is very, very uh, careful with personalities and behavior like that. And I honestly, it would surprise me very much if if Klopp wanted to sign him after that, because it goes against all principles that uh, that Klopp stands for. But then again, I think that could be to Milan's benefit because we know that Milan wanted Kabak before and Maldini has uh, identified him as a great player for Milan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that, of course, in uh, in, uh, the Milan community, Maldini gets the praise he, he deserves, but overall he he almost has an impeccable signing record as well and uh, when it comes to defenders he hasn't really been wrong or perhaps with Duarte but Mm -hmm. you know otherwise he's been we'll blame Serginho for that yeah yeah (laughs) 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 wasn't Paolo (laughs) yeah but you know he most of his defensive signings has been great fits and I think that if he he's confident that Kabak could be that then I trust Maldini and you know it's a it's a very very talented player and uh, if he just uh, gets the the guidance that he needs I think that he could be a, a top class defender and I think with yeah. Kabak I think with Kabak too you know I think Milan it, this is the exact um, position that Milan have been so advantageous in, right? A player that's has the has had that like that that explosion, or be, albeit maybe to varying degrees, but then maybe has come back down to earth, has struggled a little bit. You know, you mentioned the kind of the sort of disciplinary things, and one way or another, they're now looking to see if they can kind of re, not reinvent themselves, but reestablish themselves at a club that they were once maybe limit, uh, you know, maybe linked to or were in line to make a big move, but maybe for whatever reason, turned a lot of big clubs off. You know, Teo Hernandez was one of them. Um, even Diago Dalo, obviously though, they didn't have the, the, the sort of this uh, combustion, combustible type, you know, explosive personality and those sort of risks with the club that they previously were at, but players that had this potential, maybe weren't fulfilling it and they move on to another club like Milan who, really would look to capitalize on these sort of young players that have still things to prove and, you know, have this sort of uh, benefit, be the prime beneficiaries of this model. And, you know, Teo Hernandez is one of them. You know, you look at, you know, certain players that they've had, they, they've, they've purchased. And it seems to me that this would be the perfect opportunity for them to get Kabak if the fee is 15 to 20. I mean, that's a really good off. That's a really good fee to get a young player with Kabak's potential, you know, He's probably the third best in that sort of uh, trio of young Turkish defenders. Um, the one guy at Leicester City, I always struggle to pronounce his name. But he's very good. Um, Mero Demiral, who's at Juventus, as we all know. And then Kabak is probably the third in that category. But, I mean, 15 to 20 million for a guy who can be a starter for you in a couple of years if Simon Kayer does leave or he goes somewhere else or maybe he's just not starting material at that point. So I think it would be really fascinating for Milan to you know, take this opportunity to maybe get him. Um, of course, you know, he would be a great fit. I think you know, anytime you're able to train with the players that Liverpool have, you're trained under a manager like Jurgen Klopp, and even just kind of have that sort of bumping of the shoulders with guys like Virgil van Dijk, 
that's that's a great experience and a valuable experience to have, even if you're not, you know, starting every week. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the next step for him is. I would love him at Milan because I think, again, this would be the perfect opportunity to jump in on him while his value has taken a little bit of a hit and then turn around and make him just a key piece to their project moving forward. Yeah, and again, this is a testament to with the patient that has to be required when you bring in a new scouting department like Milan did a few years ago with Jeffrey Mancata, because we know what he did at Monaco was one of the more impressive feats in terms of scouting and then, you know, execution at the highest level in the Champions League with those teams that went to the semifinals. Um, It's bearing fruit right now. And I really don't think there has been, you know, a better example f- for a Serie A team in recent years, probably besides Atalanta. I think Lazio has done a great job with the recruitment, but we know how shrewd they could be. Um, Huey, to an extent, obviously, Inter's done great with Maratta and Juntoli over with Napoli. But I just think in terms of just, you know, bang for your buck, great value. Milan's done such a great job. And I think they're going to continue to do so. And, and Maxi, this is just, again, I'm sorry. I'm just waiting for this timer. It's going to go right here. Yep. Okay. There we go. Um, <laughs> this is just, again, when Maldini had these quotes, I don't know if the both of you saw this, Matt, I think I brought this up the last time on the soccer showdown episode with Milan is that Maldini didn't know a ton about an Alexis Salamakers. They knew about him, but he mm-hmm. wasn't watching every single match. But he said something that caught my eye in the interview was that this, I trusted in my scouts. My scouts told me that this kid was impressive. We liked what he did on the field in terms of his work rate, his position versatility, and his attitude. And the fact that he didn't need to watch, you know, a dozen matches of Alexis Salamakers, and he believed what Jeffrey Mancada and the rest of his scouts below him said was that this, they understand what they want, much like Liverpool. They know what it's going to take in terms of money to acquire these guys. And if they believe in one of them, they're going to go with it. Even if it's against the grain, right? Like you lose Kabak and Todibo. What do you do? You end up getting Simone Kerr, who's been arguably the best defender in Serie A in all of 2020, right? Since he's arrived. Yep. Salamakers has been one of the more valuable pieces at Milan too. I mean, just like every single, they haven't lost a game that he's played in. Mm -hmm. That's unbelievable. And we were talking about a team this time last year that's getting embarrassed to Atalanta. That's treading water in the league. For me to just, you know, see a club that just sticks to their plan like that, you have to admire it. And at the end of the day, all they have to do again, Maxie, and this is what I've told Matt and, and a bunch of people, they just have to get to January in a good position. And they didn't spend all that much money back in, you know, the recent transfer window, quote unquote, the summer window. They have a lot of that money carrying over from Suso. They slashed mm-hmm. a ton of wages. They could still potentially sell some players in January as well to get to get rid of them, you know, loan some of them out. I think Daniela Maldini is one of those that could be loaned out because Conti, the left side, Conti as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because Maldini isn't a center attacking midfielder. Like, let's be real. They, he's known for playing on the left. And Maxi, I know you can attest to that with the with the Primavera sides. This right here, again, like, 
how many how many guys can you really point to that have been disasters for them? Tatro Rosano's one game against Roma, disaster. Um, Leo <laughs> Duarte, which we're obviously going to blame on Serginho. But yeah. those are two guys within Maldini's first 24 months of being the main director of this club and in general of holding this position. Like that's – you don't see mm-hmm. that happen. It takes years. It's well, you know what it is too. It's a, it's a reflection. It's a reflection on the current state of affairs in Milan and really just how much they've grown over the past year, year and a half, right? Because even when you know they were taking taking a beating from Atalanta and sitting somewhere closer to relegation than they were to to Europe last year at some point, you know, I think people started to kind of say like, but this this project feels different. The people involved, we seem like we have the right people involved making the decisions. It's just going to take time for it to take shape and materialize. And I think the, 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 the switch that went on was the Ibrahimovic arrival. Because I, I did a lot of articles at the time, and I'm sure, Maxi, you did too as well, and Martino, I was talking about on Soccer Showdown, was it was like this team is underachieving. There is talent here. You know, Donnarumma, Romagnoli. We started going down the list of players that were like, we just need that sort of veteran presence to help help keep that team together, to be the glue, right? As obviously, you know, Ibrahimovic is extremely talented, but be the glue to keep this club together and growing. And I think it's a reflection on where things are at in the current state of affairs at this club when Maldini can come out and say, I trust my scouts. And Milan scouting, historically, that's always been at the forefront of many of their dynasties and their big eras, right? With Breda being involved, you know, getting the players that he was able to acquire. Like, that's what I've always wanted for Milan to get back to was, yeah, we can have a great academy and we can grow players and, and get players through the Primavera to eventually become first team starters. And that's an essential part of it. But they've also scouted to help bolster their Primavera, but also find really tremendous value on the market. I mean, it's incredible to see Milan playing this well while also having one of the younger teams in Europe's top five leagues. I mean, it's, Apparently they really broke truly, a thirty-five-year-old record with how young the team was. They fielded. It's it's, it's 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 truly it's truly you know remarkable and, and impressive to watch because I think most people and even myself included were thinking, well, Milan need to get back to a position where financially they could spend and they could get the big stars and they could spend 50, 60, 70 million euro on player on players. And we talked about it on Soccer Showdown, Martino and Maxi. You can kind of chime in too. Is when you compare their world record transfers to some of these other clubs they're competing with in in Italy and you know in Europe, I mean forty to forty two million. I mean Bonucci and Rui Costa, Tiago, I mean not obviously not Tiago Silva, um, uh, Andre Silva, right? Then that thirty eight to forty two, forty three million uh, euro range. They're in a position now where you're looking at Teo, you're looking at Romagnoli, you're looking at some of these players, and these are cornerstone players that you did not have to break the bank for. But but that's what that does though is that sets you up in a position where, hypothetically speaking, let's say you do get to the Champions League or you do win a Scudetto. Now you're in a position where the draw is already there. You're not having to overspend to draw to get a player of that that, that star status, that big caliber player into your club. So it's all about a domino effect and building for the long, building up a, a, a plan or a course of action that it can help get you get you into a position in many ways like what Liverpool did, right? They brought Klopp in, but it wasn't saying, Klopp, we want title next year or bust. It was like, no, Klopp is going to change the culture of this club. We're going to rally around our coach. We're going to instill and, and, and provide him with players that he needs to set that culture and then get the players on the market. I mean, you saw the players were starting to take shape, and then what they do? They got Virgil van Dijk, and then things kind of turned to them being 
a perennial title contender in, in the Premier League and being a real legitimate threat to win the Champions League and to keep just this prolonged dynasty going. And I think if Milan can play their cards right, they, they sorted out somewhat the finances. I think, you know, they've earned, earned, they're in good terms or in good fa- uh, terms and favorable terms with UEFA on that front, which a couple years ago, it didn't look like that. It looked like Milan were in a little bit of a dicey situation. They seem to have sorted that out. They're healthier financially. They got a coach that the, the club rallies around. And the general vibe about this club top to bottom, it feels like a really strong group. And what was telling, uh, what, what is telling about that, what, what provides evidence to that is how they rally around Pioli. Because at the end of the day, we've seen how much difficulty Milan have had with getting the right manager in charge. They've had some talent. They've had some quality. They've had player uh, men in high positions making decisions, but they were never able, able to get the right coach, and you feel. When you look at the, the, the image that we saw after the game yesterday, of course, at the time recording against Samp, the 2-1 victory, I mean, the strength and unity behind this team that's something that is, I think, in my opinion, a reflect a reflection of how things are currently at this club. There's so much unity. There's so much strength. There's so much belief in one another to effectively defy odds. Cause I don't think anyone expected Milan to be a t- leading the table right now. I know it's <laughs> early still, but that's the most telling thing about Milan for me and where they're headed. And I'm hoping they can ride this wave and look guys, I know I'm ranting here, but they haven't accomplished anything yet. And I think the biggest focus for Milan now is to keep their head down and to keep working hard. Don't be a team that says, oh, congrats, you, you, you won the January Scudetto. You won the quarter season Scudetto. I want this team to continue to stay hungry, stay humble. And it seems like they have that sort of mentality and mindset right now. And it's very encouraging to see. Yeah, but you know, I, I follow both uh, Liverpool and Milan very closely. And I... I've said many times that I see many comparisons or, sorry, similarities between between Liverpool when they started to establish themselves uh, and, and Milan now. It's not just this, you know, they don't splash the cash, they, they spend it wisely. It's not about how much you spend, it's how you spend it. Uh, but it's not just that. It's, uh, you know, I've, I follow the Primavera a lot and, you know, Milan have started to invest a lot more there under Maldini. Uh, by before it was it was we we signed players from around Italy or or uh, France or or anything like that. But now we're actually signing from Portugal, from from Scandinavia. We're we're acquiring the best talent uh, to establish a future, and and. Also, uh, a thing that I, I thought about was, you know, it's not just about growing the team. We're, we're growing the Milan brand. And we, we do, we're doing that with, uh, for example, the Rock Nation. How, how many football clubs teams up with, uh, <laughs> with JC's label? Uh, but it's, it's actually brilliant because we're, we're getting exposure from, from all these athletes or singers in, in the Puma in, deal too, sending jerseys over to NBA players. Yeah, exactly. And that exposure is great because it's grown the Milan brand. And it's not just about growing, growing the team. It's about growing our club. And, and that, that is something that I, I've been very skeptical about, about the Gazidis, but I think that move and, and some other moves we've made 
are are great for us uh, and as as matt, matt was talking about too with the investments we've made it's uh, you've got to have the trust between scouting department and and the maldini who's who's top of the line or on top of the pyramid of decisions like Maldini can't have all that responsibility on, on himself. He has to, he, he's got to be able to trust uh, his his scouting department, his data analytic data analytics department, uh, and you know there's so many things that are all lining up in Milan right now. It's not just on the pitch; it's all around the club. Maxi, I, I I totally agree with you. I think you know, it's one it the, the healthiest Milan position they can take is is you know keeping this sort of momentum on the market going, but also finding ways to just continue to find first team players through their academy. And I think that's ultimately what you want. You still want Milan to maintain that sort of um, Milan DNA, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, we've seen you know Inter, Juve, they've had very good success, but they seem to you know struggle to get their academy players through to become first teamers. And that's something that I've always loved with Milan is that you see you're seeing Calabria, you're seeing Donnarumma, you're seeing some of these players come to the system and it's like even when you're spending and you're getting players of good quality that are going to take the project to where it needs to be, you still want to have that sort of Milan identity, that Milan DNA that they've had in some of the more previous dominant eras of the club. So that's what I'm looking forward to seeing and and there's a couple players obviously Milan have in their academy um and and I guess this is the kind of where I want to start heading out to uh to wrap up here but I want to give you the opportunity to speak on some of the um the next players of the next Swedish internationals that are coming up the the players that um you feel are are destined for big things that could be making a big move very soon um obviously Roback being one of them at Milan that you know Ibrahimovic spoke very highly of um, you know, Kulisevsky, we saw what he was able to accomplish at Parma and parlay that into a really big move at Juve. And even Ibrahimovic has sung his praises at every turn, pretty much saying to his, his national team, hitting at his national team coach, why isn't Kulisevsky playing? This kid is very good. He's very promising. But who yeah. are the next wave of players from, from Sweden that you feel are going to be making a big move that have already made a big move, but we haven't quite seen them flourish yet to what they could potentially be? Give us and the listeners um, that sort of perspective on what's going on in Sweden, because we see how everyone is raising about Norwegian footballers. And of course, Jens Peter Hauger at Milan is doing great things, but I think Sweden's got another really good generation coming up. So I want to give you the opportunity to speak on that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, very fun that you ask, uh, actually, because uh, <laughs> it's something I've been uh, I've been raving about on Twitter. <laughs> uh, but but you're you're uh, spot on, and you know obviously there's Kulusevski, uh, but then there's uh, so many other guys. You know, uh, we have uh, a guy named uh, Jesper Carlson. He's he moved to. Uh, Alkmaar in in uh, September he scored I think it's five goals and two or three assists or something in his first ten ten matches with uh, Alkmaar we have a uh, a guy named uh, Jens Kajusta who played for Midtjylland he made his uh, national team debut now in in uh, November against France uh, he's uh, he's sort of a you know 
defensive midfielder but who also has really good offensive qualities uh, then there's uh, the son of a uh, Swedish legend uh, Henrik Larsson he his son Jordan uh, is I think he has eight goals in 14 games in uh, Spartak Moscow uh, so there there's so many talents who who Sweden are that Sweden are producing right now uh, who really isn't taking place in the main media and another player who I actually uh, uh, I don't know how you say it in English but I I said that he's uh, going to be one of the big uh, uh, surprises this season is uh, Matthias Svanberg in, in uh, Bologna uh, he's he's been he's uh, become a starter now this season under Sinisa Mihailovic and he's done uh, really well uh, scoring a couple goals and had I think two or three goals uh, taken away from from VAR but uh, that's that's also a guy to look out for uh, and here in Sweden we have uh, so many reports especially from uh, Serie A clubs and uh, Serie B clubs they're signing I think 15 16 year olds who they aim to find the next day Jan Kulosevsky. Um, for example, Atalanta just signed uh, a kid from uh, the same club uh, Atalanta uh, uh, signed Kulosevsky from. I can't remember the name of him right now, but uh, he, he's also one of the, the big coming up and coming players in, in Sweden. Yeah, there's so much talent in general, and it's exciting times for Sweden as well, and we'll see what happens um, come the Euros and if Ibra returns. But we're going to be running out of time here. Maxi, obviously, we love it anytime we converse and whenever we can have you on the podcast, and it was another great episode once again. So we'd just like to thank you um, and plug all of your stuff that you have for um, your content. So go ahead and let everyone know what your uh, handles are and um, where they can follow you. Yeah. Yeah. First and foremost, it's, it's such a pleasure being on again. I think it's so, so much fun to, to talk, talk to you guys. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter uh, at uh, Maxi Angelo, uh, M-A-A-X-I Angelo. Uh, and then I have my website called footballelements.com uh, and you can find that on Twitter as well uh, on at footelements. All right. Obviously your work is amazing. So everyone go and check that out. Please um, support all of our guests that come on here. Matt, you obviously have some social media you'd like to plug on your chase to 10,000 followers. Yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. I'm trying to chase down Maxi here. <laughs> he's done it. You know, seriously, you've done an exceptional job growing your following. You're really reliable, really knowledgeable on all fronts. And I think you've done a sensational job. So definitely keep it up. But it's been great to kind of follow uh, your growth as well. I know there's a lot of people in Milan Twitter that I've gone to know, you know, since I first got started tweeting and, and got involved with you know journalism and to see that sort of growth and to go on to do such great things. It's been, it's really, really great to see the growth from you, Maxi. So definitely keep it up. And um, Martino, take us out. Yeah. Um, just real quick. We gotta, we gotta give a shout out to Pep Barisha. Um, 
as of t- today, when we're recording this episode on Monday, we have the biggest announcement possible for the podcast. So that will be released after the podcast will. So look out for the Twitter feeds um, for that. That's obviously at Stay to Play Pod. As we grow towards 2,000 followers, I believe we are only about 20 ish, maybe 30, 19. As of right now, when we're recording it, obviously gaining all those followers. Thank you so much for helping out with those Milan uh, reviews post-match. The feedback's great. The viewership's great as well, as well as all like the feedback and uh, from all the episodes and everything. You could obviously follow Pet at Pet Barisha on Twitter. He is sulking because Arsenal is just, you know, I mean, it's a disaster over there for them. (laughs) Already see everyone from Arsenal Football TV uh, want to... uh, sack Mikel Arteta already and then Pet Pet doesn't even know what's what's good anymore I think it's just a very tough time for him around the holidays those so, people wishing that Gazidis was was uh, were happy when Gazidis went to Milan I think nothing yeah, funny kind of, there's nothing yeah, funny on yeah, Twitter there's, there's really nothing people, funny there was a lot of people laughing at Milan saying oh now you now you know how it feels and stuff and it looks like Gazidis is kind of getting the last laugh here so yeah, I got to take a little jab at Pet there. Sorry, Pet. I d- of course, of course, because he blamed every everything bad that has ever happened to Arsenal was <laughs> Ivan Gazidis' fault. Well. Um, <laughs> but yes, you could also follow me on Twitter at Martino Puccio. Do the post match reviews, obviously, for Milan on there. We're going to continue to do those. We'll finally figure out if Matt can do that. Maybe get you on uh, one one day as well, Maxi, to talk about one of the matches, and maybe even after a big yeah. Liverpool match as well. Um, yeah, for sure. Other than that, um, it's been a great year as we're winding down for 2020. We'd like to thank Maxi, every single guest that has come on the podcast, everyone that has supported us. Obviously, we keep reiterating that. But mm-hmm. it's really been a monumental year for the state of play. I've been on here for a little over a year now. So it's just been amazing. Thank you so much for listening. And now listen to some walking.